speak to you today out of the book of John, chapter 15, verse number 12 says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Revelation 1 and 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace unto you and peace. From him which is and was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us. And washed us from our sins in His own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For a few minutes today, I want to minister to you from this idea, this thought. The real symbol of true love. The real symbol of true love. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank You so much for what we have felt already and what You have done already. We thank You. You're ever faithful, ever gracious, ever loving, ever kind, ever merciful. I thank You, O God. I pray that You will talk to us out of Your Word. Anoint me to speak exactly what You want spoken, nothing more and nothing less. And we'll thank You in Jesus' name. Everyone said Amen. Amen. With that, you can be seated. Uh, thank You so much for Your worship today. Um, I will be quite frank with you. I was a little convicted, and maybe you will be too, that uh, as we sung that second song, what was the second song there, Brother uh, Pat? What was that second song? Fight My Battles. And we talked about praise, and this is how I fight my battles. I was a little convicted that uh, the, the two people that it seemed were worshiping and praising the most were the two that are the most under the weather physically in this building. I thought someday this will come up in the record books for the Pat. Sister Ella and Sister Rachel were up here with all of their heart worshiping God. And some of us with a whole lot more physically to give thanks for kind of set back with our mouths closed and our hands folded. God, I, I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a praiser because He's worthy of all of our praise. Jesus. Well, I hope I didn't just throw a bunch of mess into the, uh, into the service there, but that's really how I felt. It's a real symbol of true love. How many remember when you, when you first started texting and the way that you made that little heart emoji is you had to do a less than three? And if you typed less than, and I don't know what button, y'all remember texting and you had to, you know, if you wanted to, to do the letter C, you had to hit two, three times. Remember back in those, those olden days. Sometime between the dial on the phone and the swiping screen on the phone, we had phones with buttons, you know. And, and if you wanted to send a little heart to your sweetheart, you had to do less than three and it would pop up as a heart. Uh, it is the universal symbol of love, I suppose. It's the heart. And when we refer to the heart, uh, we are not referring to it as a blood pumping organ, but we refer to the heart as the seat of our emotions. The, the word heart is used in a lot of different expressions. I'll just share a few with you to kind of 
uh, get us all on the same page, but we can say that a person has a big heart. We can say that uh, we can talk about our heart's desire, or an aching heart, or the faint of heart, or the broken hearted. We can talk about expressing an emotion from the bottom of one's heart. Does that, we could say that something does our heart good. We could find it in our heart to do something. Some folks wear their heart on their sleeve. Some folks do stuff half-heartedly. And you can do it with all your heart. You can have your heart set on something. You can have a heart of gold or you can have a heart of stone. You can be warm-hearted, cold-hearted, hard-hearted, soft-hearted. You can have a change of heart or you can cross your heart. Uh, You can give your heart of hearts or you can get to the heart of a matter. And all those are man-made sayings and uh, we talk about the heart a lot. And maybe the worst man-made saying about the heart that I know of is God knows my heart. Because what that usually means is uh, I am of of the opinion that I have a good heart and God knows my heart. It's saying my behavior may not reflect what I really want to be doing, but God knows what I really want to be doing. God knows my heart. That's a dangerous saying because the Bible says that it's true. God knows our heart. Now just shake your head, nudge your neighbor, tell them it's true. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. He says in Jeremiah 17 and 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And then he says, this God that says, I know the heart. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Think about that the next time you text your girl or your guy a heart. The heart is deceitfully... Now you're supposed to chuckle a little bit about that. The heart is deceitfully wicked. or Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when you say, God knows my heart, it's true. God knows your heart. But to say, I know my own heart, is not true. Who can know it? God only knows the heart because it's deceitful. Desperately wicked. Here's what Proverbs 28, 26 says. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5 says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Ecclesiastes says, The heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live and after that they go to the dead. Jesus said this. This is good stuff right here, isn't it? We're not shouting yet. But we got to get an understanding of the condition of what our heart really is. On its own, our natural state, the natural state of who we are, Jesus said, those things which proceed out of the mouth and come forth from the heart, they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. That's what Jesus said comes out of our heart. So I am really hesitant to say that the heart is the true symbol of love. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's an expression of love. Romans 5 and 8 says, God commendeth, or He exhibits His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for the ungodly. That's a symbol of love. John, 1 John 4 and 9, it was in this was manifested or made apparent or made clear. Here's how the love of God, this was manifested the love of God because He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive or know absolutely we, this is how we know the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Love is not a heart issue. Love is a cross issue. The true symbol of love is not a heart. It's not a, it's not a little beating heart emoji. It's not a heart with a, with, a, with a little arrow through it. The real symbol of love is the cross. He showed us what real love was. Because He spread His arms wide and He died for us because He loved us. You know, it cost Him something to love us. It, it wasn't, man, I'll tell you what, you can text that little heart and it doesn't cost anything. But He laid down His life. He paid an ultimate price to show us what He loved. He loved us so desperately. So what did, and I'm not going to preach very long. If you're nervous about that, I'm not going to preach very long. But I want to show you what true love looked like. It looked like being betrayed by those that you love. It looked like a cat of nine tails. It looked like 39 stripes. It looked like mocking. It looked like a crown of thorns. It looked like being forsaken. It looked like three nails. The true love, it looked like a man being openly crucified, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. True love was a side pierced. And no friends or relatives to take care of his burial arrangements. There was no formal ceremony to mark his passing. And there was no final resting place. That's what true love looked like. It looked like a man, Isaiah 53 and 3. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows and we did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God. He's borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. That's what true love looked like to us. Are you thankful for the love of Jesus Christ in our life? Uh, we, Meredith sung that song about what could separate us from His love. He paid that price to express His love and there is nothing on planet earth that could separate us from His love. He said that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and no man can pluck them out of my hand. As long as we're following Him, there's no devil, there's no sickness, there's no sorrow, there's no situation or circumstance, there's no human being on planet earth, there's no devil in or out of hell that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing on this planet or out of this planet that can cause us to lose out with Jesus Christ as long as we follow Him. Do you believe that today? Amen. He shed His blood because He loved us. That he, because He loved us, He washed us from, his sin, from our sin. I'm telling you what, it is the blood that bought us. And it's the blood that we need a revelation of. 
Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Your life is in the blood. Life more abundantly is in the blood. There's forgiveness in the blood. You all with me this morning? There's forgiveness in the blood. There is, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission from our sins. But He shed His blood that we could be washed, that we could be cleansed. He shed His blood that we could be justified. He says that uh, much more than we are justified by His blood. That word justified means rendered or declared innocent. Declared innocent. Let's just have testimony service here for just a minute. Uh, Brother Frankie, how many of us were guilty? All right, it's about 60%. We're not all convinced yet. How many were guilty? How many were guilty of sin? But you are washed. But you are justified. You are... I'm so glad that He's the defense attorney and the judge. Because the defense attorney says, you know what? They're cleansed of the record. And the judge says, I don't see anything on their record. And he drops that gavel down and he says, clean. Your record is clean. You are rendered and declared to be innocent. What can wash away my sins? Somebody shout nothing. Nothing. Nothing but the blood. But the blood. Of Jesus. I got a revelation the other day. I've been listening to over and over and over again. I've been trying to study the book of Hebrews. And I was listening to the book of Hebrews. And I I was listening to chapter 9. And something jumped out at me. It said that in that Old Testament covenant, they would bring sacrifices to the tabernacle or to the temple. They would bring lambs. They'd bring uh, various different other things to sacrifice for sin. And it says in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, around the I don't know, fourth verse or something, that, that, that those sacrifices were ineffective for conscience' sake. They would push back the record of sin and Israel would be, would be forgiven of sin. Those sins would be pushed back to be remembered the next year. But he said it did nothing for the conscience. But Hebrews 9 and 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? From dead works. In other words, not only is your record cleansed, you don't have to feel guilty for what you did once the blood has been applied. Oh, somebody needs to feel this today. That God wants to wipe away your regret. If you still have regret, if you still have guilt, you need a new revelation of the blood. He loves you so much that when He applies the blood, the guilt is supposed to be washed away. Oh, if you walked in here today with guilt and shame and regret in your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to an altar tonight, today and say, Jesus, reapply the blood to my life and take away this shame. Yes. 
He wants you to have a clear conscience. Ah, you need to feel this today. Lift your hands right now because Jesus wants you to have a clear conscience. He carried our sorrows. He bore our grief. And He washes away our shame. Oh, go ahead. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Hallelujah. He wants to take away the if only. He wants to take away the if only I would have. If only I wouldn't have. He wants to cleanse your conscience and purge you from those dead works of the past. Oh Jesus, help us today to have a revelation of a cleared conscience. Y'all know what a conscience feels like? You know... You know when you were in second grade and you forgot your pencil for social studies class and 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 you were you you were you were too embarrassed to tell the teacher that you didn't have a pencil and so you you saw this pencil on, on somebody's desk there in the front and you, and you casually slip that baby in your pocket keep on walking it's just a pencil I did something on the inside and you knew that it was wrong. Something insignificant, but, but there was something on the inside that you went, whew, that was wrong. That, Brother Josh, was a consequence of eating from the knowledge of good and evil, the tree. Because in the Garden of Eden, God said, wow, I'm about to, I'm about to load somebody's wagon here. Here's, here's, here's what happened. God said, you can eat from anything, but don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and like, like any good, good Pentecostal folks, you know, they're like, well, well that, that must be real good if I can't have it. As we, I'm off down the subject for, for a half a minute. Sometimes we get so focused on the things that God says don't do that we miss... An entire garden full of things that God says this belongs to you. Come on now. Come on now, yeah. We focus on don't do this, don't go there, don't do this, while Jesus is saying, I got gifts, I got revelations, I I got joy unspeakable, I I got peace, I got love, I I got all this stuff. How about let's focus on the garden and not on the few things we can't have? God said, Hey, look at this tree. Don't eat anything off that tree. And, 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 and so Eve, you know, she starts talking to the serpent. Don't get in a dialogue with, with temptation. You know, oh man, I got, I got five hours worth of preach here and five minutes to do it in. So, 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 so he says, I, you know, that, that's, nah, you'll be all right. Just, just try it. Just try it. But God's trying to protect them from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because... He was protecting them from a life filled with shame. Because that's, they ate the fruit and their next emotional response was they were ashamed. God said, don't eat from that. Don't eat from that. And He didn't explain why. Don't eat from that. And when they did they realized what God was trying to protect them from the whole time. 
He was trying to protect them from a life of shame. But I'm glad that that wasn't the last tree in the Bible. Because there was another tree on Mount Calvary that he hung on. That he said, you might have had shame introduced to you generations ago. But that first man, Adam, he introduced it. The last man, Adam, is here to take it away. And if you will come to the foot of the cross, there is blood that will wash away your shame. Oh, I want to tell somebody today, God is not trying to just expunge your record. He's trying to erase your emotional response to it. Oh, we need to stand to our feet. I'm not going to get near as far as I wanted to. But the Holy Ghost wants to tell somebody today that you have an open invitation to the foot of the cross. This... I want everybody to close your eyes right now. I just want you to listen to what I'm saying. You can pray quietly, but I want you to listen to what I'm saying. There are people that have been in the church for 50 years and can still deal with shame. And there are people here that this might be the first time you've ever been in any church and you may be dealing with shame today. The invitation is open to everybody. He says, come Unto me, all ye that labor, all ye that are weary, all ye that are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You've been carrying this burden of shame. You've been carrying this burden of doubt and regret long enough. He said, I already carried it for you to the top of Mount Calvary. I already shed my blood to wash away all of your sin, all of your guilt, and all of your shame. He shed His blood and died. He was buried. On the third day, He rose again. So you would know, this is not just some story. It's not some tale. It's not some fable. But it is the power of God unto salvation. I want to open this altar to everybody in the room today. But if you, I I want everybody to feel free to come. In fact, I'd love for everybody to just flood the front of this building. But I want to specifically to ask God to search our hearts. God, and and you may not need anybody to search your heart. You may know the shame that you carry today. God, I, I, I want your blood reapplied. I want a new revelation of your blood. I want deliverance from a conscience that's been plaguing me for things you've already forgiven me over. He's here today not just to wash away sin. He's here to wash away regret. He's here to wash away the what-ifs and the I wonder what could have been. He's here to wash it away. i got to read somebody a verse right now. In the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2 same chapter where he talks about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost where I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh but he says this I want you to hear me today he says I will restore to you the years that the 
locust is eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. He said, I'm going to restore those things that you thought were a waste. I'm going to restore some things. I'm going to wash away the past, take away the guilt, and restore some things in your life. I want us to find a place to pray. You can pray standing. You can pray kneeling. I don't, I don't, I don't care what it is. However, you and God want to work that out. But I want us to ask Him for a new revelation of the blood. If they're going to play, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of the Lord I pray, God, right now that you will set your people free. Set your people free from shame. Set your people free of dwelling on what they perceived as wasted years. Set your people free. Let your blood run fresh and anew and purge our conscience. God wants you to walk out of here without a regret, without shame. Purge our conscience. Oh God, I receive your blood. I receive your blood.